Scripture reading this morning is coming from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 35 to 43. If you are able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kawum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And today we have um, Bruce Min um, to close the, the summer series for us this morning. And Bruce is the founder and president of Urban Promise. And Bruce is a camp, camp director and executive director who leads Urban Promise with affiliate locations in the US, Canada, Honduras, Colombia, U, the UK, Malawi, on and on. <laughs> and Bruce is also a speaker um, nationally and internationally. And he's, so, he's also a terrific uh, writer. So he has uh, uh, author and co-author a few books. And what caught me is uh, you also wrote your first children's book, which is called The Water Barrel. <laughs> That's amazing. And we are, we are honored to have you and Pamela with us this morning. Um, so um, I think the most important thing is we know that you are a man of God. And it's our honor to, to, to listen to your life stories and also your ministry. Um, can I pray for you? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Bruce, um, this morning, we are thankful for his life. Uh, we are thankful for your calling, your unique calling um, in him and his family. Lord, I just pray that uh, this morning, when he, speak your, when he speaks your words, Lord, we pray that may your words strengthen us. Um, may we be reminded that, Lord, we have a calling as a church in our city, Lord. Um, we lift uh, Bruce up in, unto your hands, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. The good news is that my parking meter expires at 11.02. <laughs> so I will be short and to the point. And if you do see somebody ticketing a Prius outside, if you could run down and say a prayer for them, that would be great. I want to invite a friend just quickly up. Uh, Olivia, come on up. Uh, many of you know that Urban Promise works around the world, but you may not know that we have a chapter here in Vancouver. And this is Olivia. She just told me that she got married two weeks ago. 
Do you, do you see that glow? Uh, anyway, you just finished summer camps on the east side. Tell us what made it so fantastic to be working with children in the city. Um, I think what's so fantastic and what keeps drawing me back is when you get a kid that comes in and they're very shy and they're closed off, they don't want to talk to anyone. And then the end of the summer, they're like crazy and wild and just free to express themselves and they feel safe. And at Promise Vancouver, we always want it to feel like home and that it's a home away from home. Or if they don't feel like they have a home, that they have a home with us. And so I think the beautiful thing about camps is just in such a short amount of time, these kids can feel so welcome. And one mom told me, she was like, my daughter, it's so hard to get her up for school, but it was never hard to get her up for summer camps. She always wanted to come. And even for after school programs, we're currently trying to enroll kids. And I just contacted the mom and said, would she like to join? And she said, yes, she had wanted to join other programs, but she said, promise is the one she wants to go to. So that's just like a win for us to know that they just feel so valued and loved. So, yeah. Fantastic. And, and I, I love the work you guys do. Just a church like this, could people get involved with you in any capacity? Are you looking for volunteers, tutors, mentors, anything like that? Yeah, so that's something that we're still trying to figure out because we like consistency with the kids and we find um, even with trauma, like having consistent people is good. So not so much like in person with the kids, but there's financially through prayer. If you want to become a promise partner, my coworker Danny is here. He does communications and marketing, um, but we send updates. We send newsletters of like what we're doing. Sometimes we have certain campaigns around certain things. So it's like, um, for summer camps, we had a summer campaign specifically to sponsor campers. So for after school, we'll have something like that. But if you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, we'll we'll find ways to get you connected. If you tutor, that's something that we're I I've personally been thinking about. But yeah, we want to use various giftings. So sometimes we also have people come in and host like a workshop. So if you know how to do something like woodwork or something and you want to teach kids, that's great. And we'll find a way to connect you. Fantastic. Well, well, give, give this young woman a hand because the work she's doing is important. And uh, again, afterwards, if you'd like to learn a little bit more, Danny, you want to wave your hand and, and go meet those two wonderful uh, individuals and, uh, and they'll, they'll uh, look for ways to get you involved. Uh, I mentioned earlier, my wife's here. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we just celebrated 35 years, and uh, that, that applause is for her, not me. Uh, it, uh, it reminds me of a little story about this couple that they, they'd been married for 50 years, and, you know, they were those kind of couple you see at the shopping mall wearing matching T-shirts. They had no secrets between them. They, uh, you know, they, but there was one thing um, in the bedroom on top of the Chester drawer. There was a little, uh, a little box that the husband had never allowed or, or the wife had never allowed the, the, the husband to look in. And, and her health was failing. So one day 
he said, honey, can you tell me what's in the box? And she said, sure, bring it over. So she brings over, he brings over the box, puts it on the bed, she opens it up, and inside there are five little knit dolls and $30,000 in $1 bills. The husband's perplexed, and, and he says to her, honey, explain this to me. And she said, well, you know, honey, 50 years of marriage, every time you got on my nerves or upset me, I would knit a little doll. The guy says, five dolls, 50 years. I, I'm the man. I mean, that's pretty good. And he said, well, what about the $30,000 and $1 bills? And she said, well, like I said, every time he got on my nerves, I'd knit a doll. I'd take it to the flea market and sell it for a dollar. <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't get an amen on that one. About 15 years ago, uh, one of my staff workers, we call him Mr. C, came to me and he said, Bruce, I have a vision. I love vision. I said, what do you want to do, Mr. C? And he said, uh, I want to build wooden boats with kids. I said, Mr. C, have you ever built a boat? He said, no. I said, well, then you better go out and recruit some people that know how to build wooden boats. And so he went out and he recruited a lawyer, an accountant, and a respiratory therapist. None of them have ever built boats before. And he began to go around and share the vision of building wooden boats with inner city kids. And people laughed at him. But they got together and they, they built the first three rowboats. And they called them Promise, Faith, and Grace. And I'll never forget, on a June morning, we had the official boat launch. We invited the local news, ABC affiliate, the Philadelphia Inquirer, the big newspaper just outside of Camden. We brought all the kids and their aunts and uncles and their grandparents. They asked me to do the blessing. Now, you think preaching's hard. How about saying a blessing that boats built by inner city kids would float? I mean, I'm terrified that the front page of the Philadelphia Choir is going to say, you know, pastor's blessing under investigation. <laughs> you know, boats sink. I'll never forget the first five minutes the kids got in the boats. They wouldn't go 10 feet from the dock. And then 15 minutes, they're 50 feet from the dock. And, and 30 minutes, they're halfway down the river. When they asked one of the young men whether he would become a boat builder one day, Richard Gaines, a 12th grader, he said, no, but maybe one day I'll build boats with my kids. And when they asked Mr. C why he built boats and not coffee tables, he said, well, boats give you a sense that you can go somewhere. And so for the last 15 years, we've built over 100 wooden boats with over 500 children who had never held a hammer, never sawn a piece of wood, never applied poxy. And I have to ask, why and how did that little miracle on the Cooper River happen? And let me tell you why. Because a couple of Christ followers, a couple of men committed in their faith, dared to dream a dream, dared to have a vision. And when they articulated that vision, even though it was met with cynicism and sometimes laughter, they pursued. 
They would not allow their imaginations to be shackled by the naysayers. There's some of the boats the kids made. And I love it. When the kids go out paddling now, and people come by in their aluminum boats, and they say, where did you get those? The kids say with pride, we built them. A vision. Today's gospel reading is an interesting reading. It's about a religious leader who's got prominence and authority, and he literally gets down on his knees, and he begs Jesus to heal his daughter. Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? But those of you who have had a sick child, maybe a sick grandchild, you know that you will go to any lengths for your child. And so this religious leader gets down on his knees and he pleads for Jesus to come to his home and heal his daughter. We pick up the story this morning when somebody sends word that the child is dead. No need to bother the teacher. But what does Jesus do? Jesus says, the child's not dead. The child's simply asleep. And the scriptures say, they laughed at Jesus. Now, if you read the commentaries, a lot of scholars will debate, you know, was she really dead or was she asleep or in some kind of coma? I think they missed the point. Here's what I think the gospel writer is trying to communicate. There are two opposing visions presented in this gospel story. One is the crowds, and the crowds see a dead girl. And the other vision is Jesus' vision. Jesus does not see a dead girl, but Jesus sees the potential for life. The crowds see a hopeless situation. Jesus sees a situation that has hope. The crowds see a despairing situation. Jesus sees a situation that has possibility. And when Jesus articulates this vision of what he sees, the people laugh at him. Have you ever been laughed at? Really? It's not fun, is it? I, uh, you know, I work in the city with kids, and they, they do this thing they call busting where they kind of tease you. You know, Reverend Maine, you're so bald, we can see what's on your mind. <laughs> you know, uh, Reverend Maine, your teeth are so yellow, when you smile, the cars slow down. <laughs> you know, I had, one kid, I had one kid, he said, you know, Reverend Maine, you, you still believe you, you were made in the image of God? I'm like, yeah, yeah. You still believe that you're made in the image of God and I'm in, made in the image of God? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he looks at me, boy, God has sure made some improvements. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's that, you know, it still hurts a little bit, right? But that's busting. But they were laughing at Jesus because his vision was so preposterous, so outrageous, so audacious. And let me tell you, people of God, if you dream that way, if you have visions that way, if you see the world through the eyes of Jesus, you'll be laughed at too. I have a friend, uh, he's a Jesuit priest, his name's Father Jeff. Started a ministry in Camden, our city, about 20 years ago called HopeWorks. He rehabbed a little row home and he started teaching kids computer skills, how to, how to do web design and all this kind of cool stuff. I had him one day come in and speak to a group of seminary students. And at one point, one of the seminary students said, Father Jeff, I'm just curious, you know, how did you end up in the city? How did you end up running the ministry that you run? 
And I'll never forget, Jeff looked at this crowd of seminary students. He said, well, I was a seminary student myself, like you at Boston College, School of Divinity. He said, one good Friday, I came to Camden, and he said, I don't know whether you know this, but the Jesuits in Camden on Good Friday do this thing called the Stations of the Cross. And he said, you know, they, they get a big wooden cross, about eight feet tall, and they, they march through the streets, and they, they plant the cross. And they'll plant it on a, on a drug corner and pray that the drugs would be, you know, taken away, and they plant it in front of an abandoned home. Now, you guys, I, I got to admit, I'm, I'm a Baptist, right? I mean, we, we don't do that kind of stuff. I mean, I grew up in this church. I mean, we didn't carry big wooden crosses around town. I mean, we were into hymn sings and potluck suppers, you know, evangelistic crusades and, you know, making people feel guilty for having a glass of wine. I mean, that's what, that's what we Baptists do. I mean, I, I love the story about the Baptist preacher who, you know, goes on his annual tirade against the evils of alcohol. And, you know, he stands up one day and the, the church is all whipped up. And he says, you know, if I had a case of beer, I'd throw it in the river and everybody applauds. And if I had a jug of wine, I'd curl it in the river. Everybody goes, amen. If I had a flask of whiskey, I'd pitch it in the river. And everybody's whipped into a frenzy. And then he sits down and the worship leader comes up and says, now, everybody, please turn to hymn number 486, Shall We Gather at the River? <laughs> you know. But, but, you know, here's, here's my friend, a, a Catholic priest. He's saying, you know, and they, they would go from corner to corner and, and pray for redemption and healing. And then he said, and then we came to this abandoned lot. He said, and they, they, this little group, they planted the cross. And he said, I, I remember looking down and there was needles and syringes and broken bottles. And he said, I, I looked out and the landscape was, it was, was abandoned homes. And it was probably the most desolate place I'd ever been. And he said, you know, there we were around a cross. And this group of people were claiming life. They were claiming resurrection and hope. And my friend Jeff looked at these seminary students and he said, when, when I sensed that and when I saw that, I said, those are the kind of people I want to be around. I want to be around people that can look at desperate, desolate situations and claim life and resurrection. And I wonder when the, when the police drove by and they looked at this little community of Christ followers praying, I wonder if they laughed. And I wonder if the politicians, when they read about it in the local newspaper on Monday morning, I wonder if they laughed and said, oh, those crazy Christians. I wonder when the drug dealers drove by if they, they laughed. But let me tell you who's had the last laugh. My friend, Father Jeff. For the last 20 years, he's seen young people step across the threshold at 524 North State Street, and he's seen young people transform because somebody dared to have a vision that was laughable. In this gospel lesson today, I think there's two kinds of people. There are the crowds. And the crowds have their imagination filled with cable news, feasibility studies, statistics. They're the ones who build prisons based on third grade test scores and close churches in needy areas in the name of financial efficiency. 
But then there are those that are intimate with Jesus. Peter, James, and John, they feel the heart of Jesus. They see the world through Jesus' eyes. And they articulate a vision of faith. If you see the world through the eyes of Jesus, with hope, with faith, with compassion and love and courage, and if you act on that vision, let me guarantee one thing you will be laughed at. I've been laughed at. 35 years ago, when I told people that we were going to move into Camden, New Jersey, the most violent, dangerous city in the country, and start a ministry to kids, people laughed. You better get a gun. You better get a better insurance policy. When we told people that we were going to start hiring drug dealers and mentor them and turn them into role models for younger kids in the community, people laughed. When we said we were going to take that seedy bar on the corner and convert it into a youth center, people laughed. When we said we were going to convert an old Episcopalian church into a boat building enterprise for kids, people laughed. When we said we were going to build a Christian school and provide free Christian education for children in our community because the schools were failing, people laughed. Churches that have bold visions, that show up to places that nobody else will show up to, get laughed at. Why all this commotion? Jesus says, the child is not dead, just asleep. It's a different vision. For the last 35 years, we've been <laughs> watching kids that the world sees dead, whether it's spiritually, socially, emotionally, academically. We've seen kids come back to life. I remember I had a kid in our program. Her name was Shonda. She was 12 years old. That's why I love this story. She was the toughest kid you've ever seen. I mean, she was always in timeout, always getting in a fight. I didn't know what to do with her, didn't know how to keep her in the program. One day, I had a flash of genius. I went to our choir director. I said, can you put Shonda in the choir? He said, Bruce, she can't sing. She's horrible. But my choir director at the time, he was a genius, and so he put Shonda right next to Nikki White. Nikki sang like an angel. And when Nikki sang and Shonda sang, it kind of equalized itself. <laughs> and it was very mediocre, and that was okay. So Shonda started coming to the choir, finding her voice. And one year, we were invited to take our gospel choir to California to participate in an Easter sunrise service at this Calvary Chapel church. I'll never forget, we got on the plane with the kids. For many of them, it was the first time on an airplane. Shonda looks out the window and says, Mr. Bruce, what's that? I said, it's the wing. She said, is that going to follow us to Los Angeles? I said, I sure hope so. <laughs> 
a little later in the flight, she said, hey, Mr. Bruce, are we going to heaven? I said, I sure hope not now. <laughs> I'll never forget, we got to Los Angeles. It was a, we were in a football stadium. We had to show up at 5 a.m. for the Easter sunrise service. So we show up at 5 a.m. for the sound check. Nikki White, she's got the solo that morning. I will rise again. Ain't no power on earth can hold me down. And I knew Nikki was going to nail it. Right next to her was Shonda. They come out. They do the sound check. Everything's great. The sun starts rising. Our little gospel choir from Camden, New Jersey, comes out on stage. They line up, but they line up a foot to the left. And instead of Nikki having the solo mic, Shonda had the solo mic. I had run to the top of the football stadium with my video camera because I wanted to capture this epic moment. They start singing. Oh my gosh. It was horrible. This shrieking sound. People had their heads down. I mean, they woke up. I'm at the top of the stadium trying to get them to move, and they start waving back at me. <laughs> we were never invited back. <laughs> I lost track of this kid for about 10 years. Didn't know what happened to Shonda. One day I came into my office and there was an email and it was from her. And she said, Dear Dr. Bruce, I'm trying to hold back the tears of excitement. You see, I was one of the children Urban Promise helped to save. And I can honestly say that if I did not have that positive role models that assisted me day in and day out, I don't know which direction my life would have taken. Mr. Bruce, I still have the very same bank account, thanks to Urban Promise giving me my first paycheck. And I still use it today. My brother and I always look forward to any and every activity at Urban Promise because it helped us for that one moment escape our negative environment. It gave me hope and faith to believe in myself that I could make it graduate from school and become someone I never imagined I could become. After graduation, I went into the U.S. Army. I did a tour in Iraq. And now I'm employed at the Pentagon. You see, I assess the risk of chemical and biological terrorism in the nation's capital. I've been married with two beautiful children. God bless you. Do not grow weary of the good work you do. I'm really glad Shonda is in D.C. fighting terrorists. We couldn't ask for a better person. She's tough. Shonda's life changed because somebody had a different vision for her than the vision her environment and the envision her friends and family had for her. Jesus says to us today, why the commotion? The child is not dead, just asleep. He sees reality differently, and he acts on it. My challenge to us as individuals, as a church, whether you're the nurse 
that spends a little extra time, the teacher that takes on the difficult child, whether you're the business owner that looks beyond the bottom line and cares about the community. Go into the world. Act in a way so that when people hear and see your faith in action, they laugh. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that as your people, we have the capacity to look at the world through eyes of hope, eyes of faith, eyes of love, eyes of courage. We thank you that we can look at desperate situations and see life and potential. So we pray this week that we would be reminded of this story, the gift that you've given each of us to make a difference in the life of another. In your strong name, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.